90s basketball was a lot of fun playing against these dudes. They absolutely fought it every night. Five, four, three, two, one. Hill puts it on the floor. And stops anybody down. He brought the whole goal down. Matumbo embraces the ball in the unlikely upset. They're on their feet. A new NBA assist king, John Stockton. The crowd going crazy. To Michael, three, two, Michael, firing! What's going on, everybody? You know what time it is. This is the 90s Basketball Show. My name is Brian Swain. Let's get going. Now, as you know, this is the 25th anniversary of the inaugural season for the Vancouver Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. And many of our current episodes are dedicated to revisiting those days. For this edition, with the 2020 NBA draft coming up on November 18th, it's the perfect time to look back at the 1995 NBA draft, which was held in Toronto and was the NBA's first event in Canada with the Raptors and Grizzlies as part of its family. And to do that, I'm excited to welcome the Executive Vice President of the CEBO. He was former Senior Vice President of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment and a key member of the Raptors organization when they joined the NBA, John Lashway. John, thank you for being here. How are you doing? I'm great, Brian. How are you doing tonight? Very good. Very good. Appreciate you taking the time to join me and look back. And uh, of course, why I thought you'd be great to talk to is because you've obviously been involved in many things since then. But back in 1995, you were right there with the formation of the Raptors. Tell me a little bit about how you first got involved with the Raptors. I know you started with the Blazers. Is that right? Yeah, I'd been with the Portland Trailblazers for nine seasons, and then I was recruited to Canada uh, to help create and launch the Toronto Raptors. I, I came to uh, to Toronto about two months before the draft in 1995, and um, um, I guess I've made it my home. I became a Canadian citizen in 2004, and uh, wasn't intending to stay that long, but uh, it's been my home, and uh, and. And very proud to have spent the last 25 years here. I was reading that when you were with the Blazers, you were actually the youngest communications manager in the NBA at the time. Yeah, there was one person that was a couple months younger than me, but the two of us were quite a bit younger than the rest of the league. Yeah, I've always been um, young. Before that, I was at the University of Oregon with the Ducks, and I was the youngest sports information uh, person in the uh, then Pac-8 conference. And then I joined the uh, Trailblazers when I was 26, about a month after I turned 26 as a head of communications there. So um, I guess I've always kind of been uh, young for my uh, positions in my career. So you would have been there for the Blazers' heyday when they went to the two finals in 1990 and 1992. I was, yes. It was a great time. We had just terrific players, just uh, just great people off the court. And a really uh, fun group to work with and exciting. And we got to the finals those two years. And then in between, we actually had the best record in the NBA in 1991. That was probably our best team, but the Lakers knocked us off in the uh, conference, uh, Western Conference final. Um, but yep, yep, we played uh, Isaiah Thomas and, and the bad boys in 1990. And to this day, I tease him about wearing my 1990 NBA title ring. And then we played Michael Jordan and the Bulls in, in 92. So uh, certainly uh, the glory days of the NBA, and, and we were right in the middle of that. It was a lot of fun. 
Now, Portland is a beautiful city. I can vouch for that. And I know they love their Blazers there. So what was it that made you decide that you wanted to come north and take on this position with the Raptors? Well, after we'd been to the finals in 92, uh, we lost in the first round of the playoffs in 93 and 94. We all knew we were going to get fired. And there was a house cleaning in the middle of, uh, well, I actually started uh, prior to the 94, 95 season. And uh, I was part of that. And we all scattered around the league. I had immediately had a chance to go to the Houston Rockets or the uh, Toronto Raptors. And I didn't know anybody in Canada. Um, I had, I was 35, I get, no, I guess it was 34 at the time. There really wasn't anything in the NBA I hadn't done. And so I thought, well, we'll try expansion. That's, that's a really rare opportunity to, to be a part of an expansion franchise. And I talked to people who had had that experience. And so I thought, oh, I'll go there. And, um, the Raptors ownership was great with me. I continued to live in Portland. Um, Portland and Toronto were my home until, Oh, three or four years ago, I guess we got rid of our house out in Portland, but uh, I always lived in both places and the Raptors ownership, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment was always very supportive of that um, because my kids are back there. They're of course grown and married and so forth now, but um, so yeah, I was really happy. Loved Canada. Um, didn't figure I'd stay this long, but uh, the people have just been awesome and um, I can't leave. So you're stuck with me. <laughs> so what was your title then or, or what was uh, your your role what did your role with the team involve at that point my title at the time I think was VP communications and community development I oversaw human resources all the communications all the community engagement but I had come from Portland and had nine years of NBA experience and so I had input and influence on in all areas of the organization. The one thing the Raptors did different than the Grizzlies, so people wonder why did the Raptors succeed and the Grizzlies didn't. I, I think one of the key factors is when the Raptors filled out their senior management positions, they cherry picked people from other NBA teams. So we had executives from Portland, Phoenix, uh, Detroit, um, I know I'm going to forget some, uh, Philadelphia, Orlando, Milwaukee, Golden State, Denver. Um, there were several of us who had that NBA experience. Those became the senior leaders in the organization. We filled that in with young people from Toronto and from Canada. They taught us about Canada. They taught us about Toronto. We taught them about pro basketball and that worked and the Grizzlies didn't do that. Um, I think that was really a big point of difference as to why this franchise succeeded. Uh, we knew the NBA inside and out. So my role was really to uh, help out however I could. Um, and I'd say at that time, probably mostly in basketball operations, because, you know, that was really um, the priority as we're building a roster for the first time. When did you first take the position with the Raptors? How close were they to their inaugural season at that point? Uh, I started here in April 16th, 1995, um, about the time that they were hiring coaches. And um, obviously, like I said, before the expansion draft or, or the college draft. From your perspective, when, now, when you first got there in April, of course, that would be a couple months before the draft. What was the awareness and the excitement like for the team within the community at that point? You know, people now would be very surprised and would have a hard time believing that there was very little interest and very little knowledge uh, about the NBA. Um, we had a hardcore base of fans. 
um, but nothing like it is today. You know, we the first year, first two and a half years, we played at the Sky Dome. And um, I was just looking back, actually, at some information from our second season. We averaged 12,000 fans a game at the Sky Dome. So here we are, basketball team, playing in a hockey market in a baseball stadium. Um, a lot of nights we were playing in front of eight or 9,000 people at Sky Dome. Um, you know, we averaged 12,000, but, but that was skewed by, you know, when, when the Bulls would come to town, Orlando at the time, uh, New York, Miami, the Lakers, Boston. You know, we draw 25 to 35,000 fans for those games. There's a lot of nights we were playing Indiana and Sacramento and, you know, Portland in front of eight or 9,000 people. Um, and you almost never saw a basketball hoop around Toronto. One of the things that we did was we got somebody to donate the, the backboards and, uh, and the nets. And we just went around the city, didn't ask for permission, didn't get permits. We put hoops up in parks. And we needed to get people thinking about basketball, hearing the ball bouncing, you know, in the park across the street. Um, we just did a lot of that. And it was really guerrilla marketing at its best. Um, there wasn't a following for basketball. You could drive all around the city and not find a hoop. Uh, now it's, it's just a 180 difference. People at the time thought the franchise wouldn't last, that we would only be here maybe three or four years. And then we would relocate to Cincinnati or, or New Orleans or Memphis. Um, but, you know, we really believed that this was a really a perfect market for the NBA to be in. And what's happened the last couple of years doesn't surprise any of us at all that we're here the first few years. We, we knew this was coming. Um, they will surpass the Maple Leafs as the top team in Canada. And at times when I was at MLSE, I was also senior vice president of the Maple Leafs. There was years when the Raptors carried that organization, just as there's years when the Leafs do. And then there's years when the building does for concerts and different events. Um, so the, the Raptors surges and they're still going, you know, basketball is the hottest sport in this country right now and uh, fastest growing sport in Canada. So it's, uh, you know, the Raptors played a, a big role in that. Good evening and welcome to the 1995 NBA draft held for the first time in Canada, home of the NBA's two newest teams, the Vancouver Grizzlies and the Toronto Raptors. Well, let's look back at the 95 NBA draft. Now, I think this is one of the most significant events in Canadian basketball history, particularly as it relates to the NBA, because it was really the Raptors rolling themselves out to the city and to the league. It was, this was their first major event there, and it was also something that the eyes of the basketball world were on. How did you guys look at that 1995 draft as a way to kind of showcase this sport? How important was that at that point in time to getting this brand awareness out there, not only the team, the brand, this sport in general. Exactly. Yes. That was, uh, that was really important. We had, so the draft was on, I believe a Wednesday, June 28th. Uh, we had about 20,000 fans uh, at Skydome for the draft. Of course, the green rooms there with all the big players, um, the top players that were going to be selected that day. And um, you know, it was a, it's an event Toronto, um, hasn't always been a good sports town, but it's always been a great event town. Um, and, and people love the events and they'll turn out whether they know anything about basketball or not. And they did. And, um, you know, what happened that day really proved everything that I'm saying. Um, you know, the fans booed Damon Stoudemire when we drafted him, they didn't know who he was. You know, it's uh, they knew Ed O'Bannon, 
who they wanted because he just won the NCAA title with UCLA. Um, but they didn't know the players in the draft, but it didn't matter. It was a great event. Um, you know, Isaiah Thomas is uh, an iconic brand of his own and um, quite the magnet for the franchise. So it was really important, uh, the draft and then also the expansion draft, the type of players that we would bring in to really uh, spread the gospel of NBA basketball, not just in Toronto, but all the way across Canada. You know, us and Vancouver Grizzlies came in at the same time and we really saw it that, you know, we were really accountable for everything, probably, you know, east of British Columbia. Um, so we really saw ourselves as a national brand. With the seventh pick in the 1995 NBA draft, their first draft and their first pick, the Toronto Raptors select Damon Stoudemire from the University of Arizona. I'm glad you brought that up about the reaction to Damon Stoudemire because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. The fans, they wanted O'Bannon. They were chanting for O'Bannon. I'm not sure how much you can speak to this from your role at the time, but was Damon Stoudemire always, if he was there, that was going to be the guy? And I'm just assuming here, but I would think naturally, I mean, Isaiah Thomas, a point guard, being the architect of that team, that's where he would start to build from. Yeah, that first pick is really your your cornerstone uh, for what you do after that. And, um, you know, I, I worked uh, pretty closely with uh, Glenn Grunwald. I, I say Glenn Grunwald was Isaiah's right-hand man. I was his left-hand man. Our offices were all together, so I was pretty uh, privy to what was going on. Um, you know, we, we looked at, uh, you know, Kevin Garnett is uh, generally considered to have been Isaiah's first choice. However, when you're picking seventh, um, you, you know, you need to have three or four uh, options in front of you. And Kevin Garnett was picked fifth by Minnesota in that draft. And Damon was there at seven. You know, if they'd have both been there at seven, you'd have to ask Isaiah who he would have picked. Uh, one of the things I learned working with Isaiah Thomas is I don't try to predict what he's going to do. <laughs> he's his own man and uh, he does his homework. And um, so uh, you know, I think it was really uh, Damon along with, with Kevin Garnett were the, the two that uh, Isaiah was going to look at. And for people who might not be familiar, Ed O'Bannon, who everyone wanted to take, he went two picks later, number nine to New Jersey. And he only lasted a couple of years in the NBA. Damon Stoudemire went on to have a very long career and played very, very well. How did you guys look at marketing and getting Damon Stoudemire out there based on that initial negative reaction and trying to get people to embrace this guy? Well, you know, um, first of all, I was partial to Damon because he's also a Portland guy like I am. Uh, yeah, yeah so that's right, really, too. Yeah. I was super happy to, to see a fellow Portlander uh, in Toronto. And, and he's, a, he's a terrific guy. And he's gone on to, to have a very good uh, career as a coach, as, a, as still a young coach. But he's doing just great. Um, so, you know, one of the ways we marketed the team it really was around the visiting players more than our own. So, you know, of course, we, we marketed Damon a little bit, but there was also an awareness not to put all the pressure of a country on Damon Stoudemire's shoulders. And, um, you know, people came to see the Raptors probably more to see the opponent that night. Again, this was still an era when 
the NBA had a lot of, you know, Hall of Famers uh, still playing. And uh, it was really a, a great time for the NBA. So, you know, they, they cover the game program. Uh, we almost never put our own player on the cover. It would be, you know, the, the, the image of the player that the fans were coming to see that night, more than marquee players and the all-stars, the established all-stars. So we were really careful not to, um, you know, put Damon out there, you know, to a point where um, the great pressure, Toronto's a huge media market, as you know, and, um, you know, we, we were really mindful of that. Um, you know, he was, it was not a time to market Damon like a Vince Carter. Um, and, and it wouldn't have made sound, uh, it wouldn't have been a good business strategy to do that. So, you know, we, what we did is with the expansion draft is we had a lot of really good guys and, and, and colorful characters and we put them all around the community. Um, you know, our, our community relations part of the organization was, was very aggressive and active and, uh, and we really just wanted people to be able to interact with our players because they were the type of people that when that would occur, you win fans, you know, it's uh, just, uh, it was a, it was a unique uh, period of time in terms of having a roster of, of really admirable people. At number 35, the Toronto Raptors select Jimmy King, University of Michigan. I grew up loving the Fab Five. So I got to ask about the second pick, second round pick for the Raptors being Jimmy King. Now, Jimmy King obviously didn't have much of a very long NBA career and he was just with Toronto for one season. But just tell me a little bit about what the thinking was behind making that pick. Well, Isaiah's a Michigan guy. And um, so he knows these players really well. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I can't remember the specifics uh, as to what would it is thought process, but certainly Jimmy King was a player that Isaiah knew very well. And uh, we had other, we had other Detroit people um, with us at the time. We had a number of Pistons uh, employees uh, with us um, in, in the scouting department and, and throughout the, the organization. Um, so the, the Michigan players, uh, um, you know, they were very much on the radar screen for us. Was that a name that you found that was actually maybe in some ways a little bit more recognizable off the bat to the market there than Damon Stonemeyer was? Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't remember. I don't remember. I, I don't know. But, you know, it's it's all about your first pick, right? Right. And, uh, you know. So, and, you know, I think right away people saw a connection or made a connection between Isaiah being an elite point guard and, and Damon Stoudemire being his first pick. And, you know, I think that connection uh, served the franchise very well. And I think the fans picked up on that. How do you think Toronto came off to the world with the 1995 image draft, of course, is broadcast on TNT. So I'm guessing you had media from, if not all, most of the teams were there represented. How do you think Toronto's reputation, just as a city and as, as a place that was potential for a basketball market, came off that night? Oh, I think great. You know, it's it's hard for Toronto to screw it up. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm biased here, but I absolutely love, love, love Toronto. And, and people that spend any time here at all, love it even the players you know so you know it's been well chronicled there was players that that were traded to toronto and didn't want to even show up and um 
you know, our guys that maybe wanted out as soon as we drafted them in the expansion draft. But, you know, the players come back here in the summertime. Guys that played here 20 years ago, they haven't been worn a Raptors uniform for many, many years. They still come back here. You know, it's just such a great city. They, uh, you can't beat it for restaurants and, you know, things to do. And it's, everything's close, you know, you can walk or cab easily. And, um, you know, it's so diverse and cosmopolitan and it is not a better place to play. And, you know, it's become a city where guys wanted to play. And, you know, that's led to the success that the Raptors have had. Without question. So I'll wrap up here, John, you've had some pretty incredible experiences. I'm sure we could talk all day and all night about what you've done, but just uh, walk me through what the last 25 years have been like for you. I've been lucky. I've had three once in a lifetime jobs. Uh, I got to work at my alma mater, the university of Oregon, the ducks, um, which was amazing. And then the Portland trailblazers came calling and, that was a dream come true. My goal was to get to the NBA or Major League Baseball by the time I was 40, and I, and I got it at 26, and then really coming to Toronto and, and helping launch the Raptors. And then in, in terms of basketball, there's been two defining moments in this country for basketball. The first was the launch of the Raptors organization. The second has been the launch of the Canadian Elite Basketball League, and I serve as executive vice president in that league. I'm also president of the Hamilton franchise and getting this national league off the ground um, is very similar to launching the Raptors organization, you know, and, and, and this league will be a leader in developing basketball across Canada. But right now there's seven teams in four provinces. Uh, soon there will be a dozen teams in five or six provinces. And, you know, we're building that thoughtfully and strategically, just like we brought built the Raptors. Um, it's fun for me because I get to work with people like Glenn Grunwald again and, and some other former Raptors uh, colleagues um, in establishing um, the league that is a partner of Canada basketballs and, and our first FIBA affiliated league in Canada. For sure. Having been involved doing the game broadcast for the Edmonton team, it's been really cool. It's been great to see how well received it was. Disappointing that we weren't able to have games in the individual markets this season, but I think I think everyone with the league should be incredibly proud of what they were able to pull off in Niagara. Well, thank you. Yeah, the CEBL was the first pro league to return to play in Canada after COVID locked everything down. And there will definitely be a season next year. Uh, worst case scenario would be another something that looked like 2020. But uh, we're hoping to get fans back in the buildings and, and planning accordingly. And that's a great team out in Edmonton. They won the championship this year. And so they've got terrific players. And Jermaine Smalls, a heck of a coach. And, and um, yeah, I mean, Edmonton's really playing a, a key role in this league. And, um, yeah, it's uh, you watch. If people don't believe in this league, there's people that didn't believe the Raptors were going to last either. So I can see it. And uh, this is this is going to be amazing. Yeah, it'll be fun to see where this goes and uh, it relates a lot to the Raptors, I'm sure, too, because as you were saying, 25 years ago, people wouldn't have imagined what it is, what, what they have become, what they are today. And then on the flip side, like you were also saying, the younger generation of fans could probably not imagine what the awareness was like of the Raptors back then. <laughs> yeah, so 
I went to game five of the NBA championships. The Raptors invited me to the, to the finals game and I'm standing on the train platform to take the go train into the city. And I was the oldest one on the platform by a lot. And <laughs> I looked around, most of those kids, most of these people weren't born when the Raptors were launched, yeah. but they were all jammed in going down to Jurassic park. And there was more people at Jurassic park than we had at sky dome for most of our games. And I thought, wow, these kids only knew. So, um, it's amazing. It's it's been fun to watch. I'm really proud and grateful to have had the opportunity. Well, thanks very much, John. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, take care, and I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. And thanks, of course, to all of you for listening. Remember, you can check out all episodes of the 90s Basketball Show on any of your favorite streaming platforms, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or you can check it out at the tsn1260.ca website. And of course, visit the show archive at anchor.fm slash 90s basketball. And with that, I'm out. My name is Brian Swain, and this has been the 90s Basketball Show.